Howdy! Welcome to another episode of QBT. I am Maddie Germs. And I'm Shawnee. And Maddie, do I have a booger on my nose? Um, your video's a little glitchy. I don't think so. I think you're clear. I think you're clear. Great. I I need to um I need to trim. I got some nose hairs that are like really just like Oh my god, mine are out of control all the time. And we're two queer babes talking about <laughs> mental health, pop culture, and whatever the hell else we want. Um, today we are joined again by BJ Rudd, um, season one spectacular guest um, to continue that conversation. Let's get into it. You ready? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Trying to talk slick all up in my ear and shit. <laughs> I'm done. Okay. Uh, <laughs> keep that in, by the way. Um, uh, hey, Maddie girl, what's going on? Howdy. Um, Howdy. Today I got rejected by a job that I was going to reject oh. first, and I'm pissed. I hate when that happens. It's like, bitch, I didn't need you. I know. It's it's not sad. It's anger. I'm like, well, yeah. I knew on Friday when I interviewed that I did not want to accept it. And I was like, I need to email them and tell them I don't want that job. And then they sent me, we're going in another direction. I'm like, fuck you. Fuck you. I didn't want to go in your direction anyways. How about that? Anyway, how are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. It's, uh, we're recording this one on Monday. So I feel like I'm very ready to decompress later on, but uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing all right. Um, you know, for this week's sub-slut, this has been burning a hole in my mind since Friday. Okay. How do you feel? <laughs> Give me the truth. All okay. tea, all shade. How okay. do you feel about Rumors by Lizzo featuring Cardi B? Um, I thought you were talking about Rumors by Lindsay Lohan. And I, I like, would I never ask you your opinion on that because mm. I know what it is. Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> okay, um... I'm going to be honest, I've only listened to this song once, and the mm-hmm. only time I listened to it was when I watched the video, which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. I, like, I I don't know. I've said it many times, especially with pop music. If there is a video that comes out the day the song comes out, I'm always going to watch the video first. Um, and the Hercules, like, muses thing going on, excellent. Her, like, the longest braid ever recorded or something that she has on that video. She's, like, slowly coming down the stairs. Great. I think this Cardi feature actually makes sense as opposed to the Cardi feature on the Normani song, which like, it's not bad. It's funny, but like, it feels out of place. This Cardi feature, I'm like, oh, this makes sense with what the song is. Mm-hmm. Is it going on my playlist? Well, I don't know. I don't know. No. What about you? What uh, do you think? I almost the same as you. I've only listened to the song one time not on a uh, sound system that I probably should listen to it on. I literally, I think, was just playing it from my phone um, because I was trying to figure out whether to add it to a playlist or not. And then I haven't seen the video yet, so I'm excited for those those little teasers you just dropped. (laughs) And I also agree with the Cardi B statement. I think that I, when it got to her part, I was like, "Uh mm uh-huh, I like this, I'm into this, this works, this is clever, this feels good, this feels right in line with what I was expecting um, from Cardi on this song, if not a little bit more, which is nice. Yeah. The song itself, um, I don't like it. It's a not, it's not a, I'm gonna say it. I just, I probably will never listen to this song again. And by, by like intentionally, like yeah. I, I'm sure I will hear it 
against my will. I'm sure I will hear it multiple times played back to back against my will. Um, And maybe it'll grow on me then, but I think that initially there was nothing there that I was like, I want to come back and give this another listen. And maybe that means I need to like open up a little bit more, but I don't know. It wasn't for me. Yeah, I I think it might be a little bit of a grower, to be honest. But I also think that it kind of finds its groove about halfway through. And so it like mm. it's like, oh, now I'm into the song, but now it's over. You know what I mean? It's like it, I see what I you're think, saying. I think it takes a minute to get to where it's going, and the beginning is a little bit a little bit corny, but like the when she starts with that verse about like liking the girls on pose and what and from that point on, I'm like, okay, I'm here for this. And the Cardi feature happens and it's like, oh, I, I'm sold now. But it just takes a while to get there. And I feel like mm. the the rapping, some of it feels like not offbeat, but like chasing the beat a little bit. And I think that's just some clunky writing at the beginning. That being said though, Lizzo herself is just like a genuinely enjoyable person. And right. I think like hating on Lizzo is weird. Like it's, it, why? Like she's just, she's not doing anything offensive. Like we both can say that maybe this song is not like for us, but like to make the girl cry, like y'all are coming for her in a weird way that is fat phobic and weird. Like leave the girl around low. She's like, she's fine. And she brings a lot of joy. Like, I don't know. I, I think it's great. Yeah. I think she's great. I think think she's great. I think she's great. I think the song is there. And I don't know if she had a lot to, I mean, she had a lot to live up to with, you know, whatever this new single was going to be. And when she sort of made her sophomore effort debut. So I don't know. I'm hoping for better sounds or songs, should I say, um, out of her in the future. This is a nay for me, but that's (laughs) fine. It's okay. It feels a little bit like, okay, in order to move on to the next era, I need to like make my social commentary on what it's felt like to be famous and the shit things that I've dealt with. Yeah. And like, now we can now move on to the next era. That's what I'm hoping. part of the rites of passage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. She's famous now. She's rich. She's got to like talk about being rich for a second for us to like get songs from her again. Exactly. It's a, it's a new beginning for Lizzo and it's a new beginning for BJ Red. You know what? Season two, I'm getting so much better at segues. (laughs) We're going to be back uh, in just a second with our interview, our second time talking to BJ Red. Welcome back. We are joined by Season 1 Hottie and Licensed Professional Counselor based out of Chicago, BJ Rudd. Hi, we're so happy to have you back. You're our first return guest. Oh, I'm the first return? The first oh, return. the pressure is on. I know, the you gotta beat yourself no, the first time. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I said the first time. I told myself I was gonna listen to it again, and I was like, no, don't psych yourself out. Just like <laughs> show up as a you that you are today. So. Well, that sounds like similar energy to how you showed up the first time. So um, you did a great job. This is gonna be great too. Um, but BJ oh, thank you. joined us last season um, on an episode titled Black People Go to Therapy 2, which is the same name as um, the podcast that you host. Um, But last time we talked a little bit about the importance of shared identity and the therapeutic relationships. Today, we're here to talk a little bit more in our theme of new beginnings and pick up on some of the stuff that we started to talk about. Um, But before we get rolling, for folks that maybe haven't listened to that episode, what identities do you hold that shape how you come into this world? 
Absolutely. So I feel like this is always changing um, a little bit. I'm finding like different ways to describe it, but um, definitely queer, black man, um, therapist, healer, nurturer, um, warmth dealer, you know, just trying to be out here giving warmth to people because it's been some time um, in this pandemic. And so I'd say those are some of the like, I think last time I was coming to terms with like saying like, in some ways I'm an artist. Um, that one still feels about like about where it was last time. Um, but I'm excited as I have more free time as I talk about these new beginnings to really be able to, you know, try out my artistic side a little bit more and indulge in that. I feel like you're teasing us right now and I don't like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're already talking about new beginnings. You're starting a new leaf. I don't know. Like, what is it? Tell us. I feel like I don't know. What, what's going on with you these days? Well, I I am transitioning into a doctoral program. So I'm going to be um, getting, a, like, what is the name of the damn degree? Um, it's, it's a PsyD in clinical psych. So that is a little bit of, like, why I have this new beginning, like, where I'm, like, leaving um, the job that I was working at when I right when I started, actually, um, when I talked to you guys. And then, um, like, since then, you know, there have been some changes and some shifts where, you know, I applied to school and I thought maybe I was going to put it off a year, um, just defer entrance. But um, things went down a little bit where I just felt a little like less safe and also, um, I guess, more secure and like trusting myself to where I was ready to take a different leap. Um, and knowing that like therapy is still going to be that thing that's there. But I also want to go to school like I miss it I miss being a little nerd and I it was also like really difficult being a therapist during the pandemic like it was Gucci at the beginning but like there was a lot of crispiness there towards the end where it's like yeah I need more than my vacation time because I've been supporting people who are going through some of the same things I'm going through and like some days that's really really hard some days it's easy knowing that you have that connection but some days it's like really tough well uh something pithy dr rudd has a nice ring to it so congratulations on uh, <laughs> on that movement there um comma side d i'm 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 excited for that for you um be ready to see all the letters after my name you know yes <laughs> letters at the front letters at the end let's go <laughs> um one thing i'm thinking about right now is um you know last time we talked you named this but you had kind of just started at this place and you were naming the excitement around some of like what it meant to have some like queer professionals with you and be able to bring a lot more of your whole self. It sounds like potentially there were still other parts of yourself that were limited because of it being work. What were some of those things that you felt Mm -hmm. were having to be held back? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I, I think what's important to name too is like when I came into this work, especially like, wow, a queer practice, like that's going to be nice versus leaving corporate America where I was one of, you know, few black people there and was in the system that couldn't serve me and support me in the ways that I needed. Um, And I think I talked a little bit in that last time about like coming into this system and like making sure that they know that I know like who I am, that they know that I know the ways that I need to be cared for. Um, And I think just in a lot of ways of, you know, what I was bringing for my previous job and ways that I wanted to be cared for, um, I think a lot of those needs were met in this newer place. But I think as I allowed myself to, like, 
be like, hey, you're deserving of like more than just those kind of like basic ass needs that you mentioned before, Mm -hmm. which were just like, I deserve to be safe. I deserve to feel like you aren't um, being extra difficult towards me because like I'm a black employee. Um, I went to this new system at the, the practice that I was at and I felt that and that was nice to feel that. But also there were some things that came up around safety. Um, we had like a newer executive hire. Sure, that's a way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had like someone in like upper management come into the practice, didn't um, have any clinical background, came from more of a law lawyer background. And um, a lot of the changes felt like I had to work less hard for my clients Mm. and focus more on like admin stuff, focus more on like making sure that the practice can highlight. Yeah. Make sure I don't get sued. And also how the practice can highlight that, like, hey, we have black queer male therapists. This is what y'all are looking for. So, like, some of the ways that we're, like, we were being marketed. And when I say we, I mean the other clinicians of color. Um, it just felt very much like, hey, y'all are marketing us as, like, hey, come here. Like, we take care of our folks. But, like, a lot of the clinicians of color um, weren't feeling supported. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the oppressive ways that my last job made me feel where I had to like second guess whether or not, you know, I could take a day off because I wasn't feeling well or whether or not I could use my vacation in the lump sum. Um, I started noticing that I'd get like insecure, like, I don't know, like, is this okay? And I'm like, why do you have to ask if, if this is okay? Like, if you Mm. truly feel safe, BJ, like, why are you worried that something's going to happen? And also, like, not being paid what we're valued. I know that's a common thing in mental health. Yeah. But um, they moved us to a salary model. And I'm like, hey, I left that salary model because I knew what I was going to have here. Um, I knew if I wanted to take a day off that it was money out of my own pocket. And I didn't have to worry about y'all because y- y'all are like, hey, you're you're going to get paid what you, what you make here at the time that you put in. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, as things change, I lost a lot of that agency and autonomy. And that is what made me feel like, okay, think about what you want to do next. Like maybe this, you aren't going to be here as long as you thought and coming to terms with that, be, like being okay with that too. Hmm. I mean, one thing that I'm being like smacked in the face with a little bit is like the limitations of this kind of like performative identity politics, right? Like queer, black, look, this is what we are. But then internally, how are we different from whiteness? And like, especially with a law background, like like, what is that? Not that obviously like all lawyers are white or rooted in that thing, but it's like, it's playing into that system, right? And so I'm like definitely hearing you're giving a perfect example of those limitations, Um, (laughs) like perfect example. But I'm also, um, I'm wondering like, what was that process like in terms of recognizing that and then moving towards stepping away? Like, what does that internal process of stepping into that new space, that scary space, that space of change, what does that feel like? Mm-hmm. Um, when you said scary space, I was thinking scary spice. So scary spice. That's where my brain went for that. <laughs> but like, um, so like, I like had to write down kind of all of the things that I was yeah. feeling um, and having just having a way to like actually look at those instead of just letting them swirl around in my brain, Mm -hmm. I think really allowed me to come to terms with like, okay, now I kind of want to like see if some of the other clinicians are feeling these ways. Now I've like come up with these feelings or emotions that I've been experiencing because of these changes. 
maybe someone else is experiencing it too. Like maybe someone else is feeling it. And um, I was really grateful to have like supervision spaces where um, I was a postmasters fellow and we were in there with like postdoctoral fellows. Um, and so we kind of had these Friday meetings where we just kind of like talk about everything that's going wrong <laughs> at the practice, everything that's changing. Um, and on, like, I, I will also mention that it was difficult being in this position where um, it feels like you're at a close knit, you know, tight practice, but we're all online. Like I never met any of my coworkers in person. And so I think also that isolation on top of like all of these changes and our inability to be like, hey, am I tripping or is this actually real? Like I never recognized the value of having that after a shift. I never recognized the value of being able to like walk out of the room and see my coworkers be like, hmm, someday, wasn't it? Um, but like being isolated and doing all of this over Zoom, you didn't have those little moments to kind of remind you that you weren't alone in this. And so I did what I need to, to, to know that like, okay, like everyone else is kind of feeling this way too, but what do I want for myself? Mm-hmm. Like I told myself that I wouldn't stay in a system that can't serve me, that can't help me grow. And if those needs aren't being met here, um, yeah, you want to stay for two years until you had your LCPC, but what are your other options? What are some other things that you can look at? And that's when I looked into school um, and really decided to move that route too. What was the like timeline of all of that? You know, like I, from personal experience, like I think that I've been faced with situations where it's a little like where it seems like history repeats itself or I'm in the exact same situation mm-hmm. <clears throat> that I just that I thought I left. Um, and it seems to be true here as well. Was there like what was the timeline from, I guess, understanding that Were there was there anything else that happened between you understanding that and then sort of landing on education? I know if it was me, for instance, I'd be frustrated and like would probably Mm -hmm. have a moment where like (laughs) everybody hears the enemy before I got to a place of like, okay, wait, let me like see if other people feel this way. I I think shortly after it was probably like November ish where, okay, like now everyone else is like being like more of themselves. People are like more relaxed. People are, you know, in a way less accommodating because they're like, okay, you're no longer new. So like, we don't need to lay out this red carpet for you. So we're going to be a little unresponsive on some of these emails. We're going to give you, you know, some details here and there. Um, And it was just like the lack of communication was like my first indicator of like, yikes okay, we're already isolated, we're already like separated, we aren't seeing one another in the office, I need communication. So that was kind of like the first thing where I'm like, okay, like I'm just gonna like watch, I'm just gonna be curious about this. Um, and then I think once our um, chief admin officer um, started, that was like January, we got shifted from um, the pay share model to like a salary model, which after I did the math, and the expectations, I was making about 17 grand less. And um, no, after recognizing that, after recognizing it, I'm like, mm-hmm. I already came out of this grad school program. And I'm like, and already entry-level clinicians don't make a lot, but like now you have us out here making even less, yet you're telling us how much we're valued, yet you're telling us how different and better we are and how 
much more we can serve our clients, yet you're taking money out of my pocket. So you're having me show up more stress. You're having me want to not spend as much time preparing. Um, you're having me want to do kind of like all these things to try to like buy my time back. Mm. And there was a point where I just recognized like, this isn't how I want to do this work. Um, I want to feel like every piece of me that I do give to my clients, like in session, outside of session, um, is, is worth it in the sense that I'm also being compensated for it. Um, like I got way too many student loans to be out here <laughs> trying to be like, oh no, whatever you want to pay me. Like, I'm just grateful. Like, no, um, I agreed to different terms and like y'all changed that contract. And that to me seems very sketchy that you're not recognizing how much money you're taking out of our pockets, but still asking for more. Um, and so that was a matter of like from January to about April, um, I had like my interview for the program. I got into the program and I was still like willing to give the practice a chance to really um, rectify, kind of even out these growing pains. Yeah. Like, and I'm just like, I know that growing pains are here. Like I am a tourist. So like, I do not like change. (laughs) And I had to like recognize a lot of that too. I'm like, BJ, this is a lot of change. Like figure out the things that you can really like hold on to that are going to ground you so that you don't feel like you're just out here without structure. Um, and no, the cha- the the structure never came. Um, it, it was inconsistent communication. A lot of me having to like advocate for my clients, like to the practice about the things that the practice was doing wrong. And that's when I really just felt confident that I was like, you know what? I'm so happy I started exploring this process of going into a PsyD program. I'm happy that I was able to like stick with it and actually get into it um, and still allow, you know, the place I was at to try to prove itself, you know, to try to see if I could stay if need be. Um, But it was really nice. Um, I think kind of the the final (laughs) nail in the coffin was... um, you know, something happened around payments with our clients and it just really rubbed me the wrong way. Like clients are overcharged and I'm like, hey, like y'all cannot be doing this to folks who one, are sometimes struggling to be able to afford therapy. Right. And now you're all like double charging them. Like, and I have to deal with it. Like you're messing with my therapeutic relationship. And you don't even get to see that. Like you're not even getting and to I'm see. Like, like, yeah, no, no. no. I'm like, y'all are the liability here and I need to find a way to like get out of this so that I can like, one, feel good about what I do. Um, Again, um, there was really sad in ways that like they even kind of, they invited me to advocate for myself and like go through the numbers and let them know the numbers that I had like found in terms of like, this is what I should be making, but this is what y'all want to pay me. Mm -hmm. Um, Had me do that work. Um, volunteered information around like back pay, like, oh yeah, I don't know if this can happen, but like, let's see if we can get back pay. And then like, I'd send emails every couple of months, like, hey, where are we on this back pay? Like, where are we on this? And, you know, still don't have responses to those emails. And they're like, who the fuck told BJ about back pay? (laughs) Yeah, and I'm just like, you could at least tell me no. You could at least be like, hey, BJ, we thought that we could do that, but unfortunately we can't. But like, that sort of like lack of communication especially about something as important as money um for me again in a pandemic just felt like you don't value me as a person like like you say you do um you don't value me as a professional if you can't have these like tough conversations with me um and also like the fact that we lost a lot of black and brown uh clinicians from the practice 
Mm-hmm. And it was really sad. Um, and I felt triggered at times, like, oh my gosh, am I drinking the Kool-Aid? Like, mm-hmm. wh- why is why is all the black and brown folks leaving? Like, what's going on here? And I don't think there was ever anything, well, some of those things were blatant, but like, it still just felt like, no, as much as this is an inclusive practice, um, we still aren't doing what we need to do to make black and brown um, clinicians feel safe, um, to like honor their experience and their dedication to this work. Um, it just felt like that wasn't being championed. Um, and I think that's why a lot of them left too. And that's why I'm ultimately leaving and transitioning to something different. I mean, there's a direct tie. I don't know. I this isn't necessarily the point of this uh, interview, but there's just <laughs> this direct link between reward and like motivation and morale that seems so extremely like basic and foundational to anything that you do in life, not even like related to work, that I sometimes find it just like wild that people don't get that in a place of work. That yeah. like the assumption is, I don't know, I'm doing you a favor. So like- yeah do what I ask you to do no matter what it is and don't Mm -hmm. ask any questions. Yeah. And if you do ask a question, I'm not even going to kick you out. I'm just going to make your life Mm -hmm. more miserable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But then you have someone coming into this field again, having so much power. Um, And also like as a cis white man too, um, he's queer, but also like a cis white man um, really making a lot of us feel like, oh my gosh, like, why don't you get these benefits? Why don't you understand these benefits? And we're like, hey, if a majority of the folks who are, you know, receiving these benefits <laughs> feel like there aren't any benefits there, maybe that's not on us and that's on you. Like, maybe right. you need to find a way to truly listen to us and see what we need in order to be happy here. Yeah. Instead of just, like, making assumptions and being like, oh, now we're a perfect job when you didn't get any feedback about how we wanted to feel safer. Um, and more secure in the shop. And also that this model of how we are paid is just as fucked up as the model for clients paying. Like the mm-hmm. ways that we have built this healthcare and in quotes, mental healthcare system, it, it, it's fucked for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I have done so much like value work and I did so much value work before entering this practice um, in school and in internship. Like I was really having to figure out like how to develop this value for myself that didn't come from, you know, external systems, didn't mm-hmm. come from like the degrees I achieved or client retention even, but that came from like solely like, what do I want to put out into the world? And am I doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, what's hindering me being able to do that thing that I feel like gives me value and makes me feel good about myself. And when the practice starts being the hindrance, it's like, yeah, like I, I have to, I owe it to myself and my clients to transition out of here. I don't need a queer trans practice to do, to work with queer and trans folks. Like, and I think that is the best and biggest lesson that I took from this uh, from this fellowship too. I thought I would take other things from it, but it's really just been that, hey, there is a need out there for clinicians um, who can validate and normalize for queer and trans folks. And like, that is not gonna leave me with the practice. Like, that's not gonna stay at the practice. It's gonna go on with me um, when I leave there. And so it also felt very liberating to be like, 
I got what I needed from this practice. Um, you know, there's some shit went down that I didn't like, but like I really got what I needed and I'm so excited to go into a program now with all of the experience that I've had um, with my clients um, and through the practice too, because I know that's just gonna help me um, start my practice someday. I was just, I wanted to be really cheesy and be like, you see, you have to go through challenges sometimes <laughs> to like get to the thing that you want or that you need in life. But I mean, I don't know that that's like a very watered down, like no nuance considered at all sort mm-hmm. of explanation of, I don't know, like a, a big takeaway that I do think is like honest and true that like, you know, if that if that practice had been had ticked all the boxes, actually, like, you know, gave you all the things that you needed, you felt valued. Not to say that you wouldn't have grown or anything, um, but I just find it really unique and special and magical, I guess I'll say, that, like, you were able to step out of that and not just, like, maybe this was what I was getting at earlier, not just go to something else similar, like, having sort of gone through that previously as well, but you sort of seeing that, okay, like, this next beginning or this next thing that I'm doing like I'm going to do versus mm-hmm. putting it in somebody else's hands and just like hoping right. for the best and praying for the best. There's like this ownership, yeah. like not just of your value, but also where you're going next. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, something that I am curious about, maybe not specific to the situation. Right. But um, mm-hmm. you were naming earlier, you're, you're a Taurus changes hard. Johnny, you were just <laughs> naming that, like, you know, you got to go through the shit to see the, thing on the other side. Um, BJ, what are some things that you do to navigate change in a sustainable way or in a healthy way? Like I get super chafed at like, I, my thing is like, I am that person who likes the syllabus, who loves the handbook. Like I will read that front to back. And I, I recognize that comes from, hey, you got to know how they might try to get you. So like for the Black experience, like it's like I need to know everything mm. in this handbook because I might need to use it to defend me, uh, to defend myself. But um, okay, I am very much that person that just likes to know. And like, I don't, I do not like when things are communicated that are still like in flux and shifting and changing. I'm very much like, think about what you need to say <laughs> think about it some more write it down edit it and then like send it to me because i'm very much reactive and getting like if i get an email saying hey guys we're making like this change i am gonna go and like make that change asap because i'm like let me just do it now let me knock it out um but i think in recognizing that that structure that i need i think it's more so an anchor that i need in order to facilitate that change so when I was thinking about like this change from like just thinking like what do I need next because I also thought about like what if I don't go to school and just go to a different practice mm-hmm. um but one of the things that I felt like that was anchoring me was recognizing one I guess the the kind of ugh, role model seems cheesy and I cringe <laughs> at it but like the role model that I was able to be for um a lot of people in my program Um, And recognizing how, like, it felt very much kind of like a supervisor role and being like, okay, like, I'm getting some super supervisory kind of like feels over here. And like, I think what anchored me was knowing that I don't want people who look like me, people from a similar experience to feel like this in a practice. And I think that I didn't feel as 
unsafe in the practice because I had a black supervisor um, and a black woman as a supervisor. She was pivotal to my to my growth at the practice. Like I can attribute a lot of that growth to her, not because she taught me um, a lot of skills or taught me about a lot of approaches and um, theoretical knowledge, but like because she was like, "You're dope. Where you're at is enough. The way that you feel is valid. Keep doing that, and let me know how I can support you." Um, I had thought that the supervision kind of like relationship needed to be this very kind of like cold, you are um, like, you're training me. Like you're letting me know, hey, you messed up on this. Or like, here's a shortcoming, work on this, grow in this way. Um, And it was completely different. And, you know, really disarming in the way that she was just all about making sure I felt comfortable and that she was, you know, showing me the warmth that I wasn't experiencing as um, due to some like the changes in the practice. So I think that became my anchor, knowing that like I want to be this person for people who look like me um, in the future. And like, how can I do that? What's the way that I can do that? Okay, you can get your LCPC, but are there still going to be barriers? Will you still potentially have to work underneath a white man in the future? <laughs> it's like, well, okay, let's go for this ID where you can still supervise, but also like you can have your own clinic someday and not just mental health services, but um, other services that I'd want to like fold into that too. And it seemed like the route with the less let's say less amount of barriers, like it's definitely barriers there, but that seems like the route that would ultimately towards the end um, have fewer barriers uh, for the ways that I can support, again, like black and brown clinicians in training. So I think that is what helped anchor me throughout not liking the change (laughs) and not liking thinking about like, okay, what is it going to be like to live off of student loans again? Like, what is that going to be like, BJ? Okay. Mm What is it going to be like, even as I'm like, I have my my exodus started out of the place, but there are still changes happening. What what can I use to like anchor myself? And it was honestly um, reclaiming my time. <laughs> it was saying no to a lot of extracurricular stuff at work that I used to feel like I had to say yes to um, because, you know, we're a small queer family. We're a small practice. Um, but I'm like, hey, if you want that from me, pay me for it, compensate me for it, or, you know, respond to my email to make me feel more valued that you at least hear that I'm still looking for this back pay that y'all mentioned. Um, give me something to feel like it's worth investing more. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. No, I, I think it's definitely, what I'm hearing is that like, it's helpful to find someone or something that you can kind of let be a grounding point while the rest of the stuff around you is a little bit wild. I'm also hearing like an investment in the future too. So whether that's an investment in your future of what you can do with going back to school, I mean, aren't you, uh, are you going to be teaching in your side position? Yeah, I'm be teaching, which that's a lot of (laughs) scary feelings too. Um, I'm be teaching a stress coping and mindfulness course. And um, even in that same course, I've had to like confront my own perfectionism. And like a couple of weeks ago, I was like going crazy about the syllabus and trying to perfect it, trying to make it seem like I've been doing this for years. And then I was like, BJ, you are going to teach this class like it's the first class that you've ever taught before. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no matter what I do, 
I'm going to teach this class like it's the first class that I've taught before. And like that to myself was kind of this permission to just be like, you don't have to foresee every question that could potentially come up, every aspect of this course that, you know, you know, future you might have wanted to have thought about or had time to do. Um, it's going to happen on the job. And like, you'll, you're not going to be perfect at it. And you're going to just like show up as a human and like what better way to teach a mindfulness course, right? Other than showing up like as yourself and being like, you don't need to do all that perfectionism. You don't need to do all of that extra stuff. You just need to be aware of where you are today um, and aware of your body in the present. And so, yeah, that class scary that I'm going to be teaching, but also has been serving me in so many ways as I like just review texts and like just brush up on it on how I want to teach it too. And is another way that you're investing in that future, right? So like, yeah, figuring out ways to give, if not give back to your direct community, like you're trying to pass along learning that you've gained through challenge, through shit. And Mm. sometimes I think a way for us to, move through our own change and the scariness of change is like, how can I at least pass along some of this knowledge to one, there's a lot of learning in teaching, right? Like sometimes we know Mm -hmm. that we've really learned and solidified something when we're able to teach it. So it's like a gift to ourselves as well, but it's also a gift to whoever we're talking to. I think that that's, you weren't naming that specifically as this kind of coping healing mechanism of change, Mm -hmm. but I think that's (laughs) something to pull from it too. Yeah, definitely. It's like, I love the idea that like I'm going to have undergrad students and I'm going to be, yeah, the class is at 8, 8.30 a.m. So like, I'm going to be most of their like first um, professor, like first experience in like higher education uh, or is college considered higher education? It is, right? Yeah. yeah. Higher education, whatever, college. Um, and I love that I can like share this knowledge around like the way that I did my syllabus was like, Again, I felt like it had to be perfect and very much this way that didn't um, that had a very much like of a power over dynamic. But um, in doing my syllabus, too, like it, I'm like, how can this feel like a power with? So that's me naming that like, hey, I'm learning a lot of this material with you. Yes, I've chosen the textbooks. Yes, I've to- chosen the assignments. But hey, you get a professor who's in the process with you. Like you don't have professors who admit that in college too much. And also mm-hmm. being like, hey, I am not expecting you to read every single thing in this class. Something I wish that I had been told my first day of college Um what you're gonna do is figure out how much you need to read based on how much the professor is like lecturing. You're gonna see what's on those slides and those PowerPoints, and then you're just gonna make do because like you cannot read every single chapter of every single book that's assigned and be a human being in college. Like it's right. just, it's impossible. Right. BJ, I've heard a lot throughout this. And let me know, like, is this centering for you? Is it that you know yourself pretty well i'm not gonna say like you know everything about yourself but like you know it seems like you know your value even though you might not necessarily be able to always write that down on paper with an exact number because there's other things that go into it um and there seems to be like a knowing of what you want out of your career what you want to be able to give like out of your career and i would venture to say that like knowing those things is centering in of itself and 
helps a lot with sort of the, mm-hmm. the chaos that is changed sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. you know what? I know I can get through this because I know that like I possess this skill set. I can do this. This is what I'm looking to get out of the next chapter. And I will figure out a way to make that happen. Yes. Yes. That that is very much it. And and that's something I don't name enough, I think. Like having returned to grad school seven years after I had started initially, um, there was so much insecurity there around just like thinking I was going to be that past self, that past student who was more worried about going out um, (laughs) and not so much about like showing up and really caring about my schoolwork as much. Um, But I think in recognizing that, finishing up my master's, recognizing like how different I am, how much more I know about myself. It's especially in terms of like what motivates me, what demotivates me, um, what energizes me, what zaps my energy away. Um, That has been so important as I've gone into, you know, this new practice and now like school. Um, I know what I want to be happy for the most part. And if I can't name that, I know the feeling, I know what I want to feel. Um, and that is, I want to feel like when I'm connecting with people that it, it's very, very warm and nurturing and validating. And that is something that doesn't just have to be as a clinician that can right. be like with my friends that I'm connecting with, that can be with my classmates that I'm going to connect with. And even like some of the ways that people like recognize like, oh, thank you for saying that. I'm just like, I guess I do got a little perspective here. <laughs> like, yes. I guess I, like in my thirties, I guess I do yeah. know a little something. Um, that is so rewarding, energizing. And of course, like tied to like my parents being pastors, I know that liking that sort of like relationship of like, ooh, let me pour into you all the knowledge and resources that I have in hopes that something will like latch onto you and help you. Um, I think that's always just going to be a need and desire um, that I have in like my interpersonal relationships too. And, you know, like with your parents being pastors, like that's one thing of like, you know, this is an inherited trait because it's a thing that I saw. But I also think that, and I could be wrong, but I, based on our previous conversation a little bit, but where you are able to step into, like Shawnee was saying, this knowing of self, knowing of value, maybe because of the ways you weren't for so long by the people that you still learned that warmth from, you know, even if it wasn't Mm -hmm. immediately them, it was like a community that offers not exactly always the most acceptance. And so you kind of have to hit this reset button and you have to kind of figure out what do I want? How do I want people to treat me? What do I want from my life? Like, while what is my value? (laughs) Like, because Mm -hmm. my value has been confusingly told to me for a long time, you know? And like, I, mm-hmm. while we've been talking a lot about your new beginnings in the present, I also know there was this like shift away from a Pentecostal background, which is another type of new beginning. Mm-hmm. And like, what was some learning that maybe you now can look back and kind of know things that you were doing to be able to put you on the path to where you are now? Yeah, I, I'd say one of the the biggest, the things that stands out the most about like, what I know and trust in myself now that I didn't know when I was in um, like in church um, and trying to live that saved and sanctified life um, is I never realized how much um, it felt like being a Christian meant not um, 
being a Christian meant like denying this part of yourself or knowing this part of yourself that was inherently bad, Mm -hmm. sinful, wrong, can't be trusted. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like there was this communication around like, because you are in church, like that's why you're this, you're experiencing, you know, you're getting promotions at work. That's why you have these like great relationships. That's why you have this love in your life um, from the people surrounding you is because of church. And I didn't realize how much that made me assume that the me that I was without church would be this horrible person, um, would be this person who's just out there hurting people, um, wronging others. And I think for so long, after leaving church, you know, which was that place that validated that, that told me like, oh no, but you have us. Like, you are not that person. You're such a great person. I think leaving church, I still didn't discover that that way of like connecting with myself because it still felt unsafe. It still mm-hmm. felt like I'm afraid to see what's there, see who's there. Um, and sadly, you know, kind of like social media and like certain groups of friends became that new church that I sought out like that validation for from. Um, and still recognizing like, why do I feel like I'm this terrible person that people just like could never know or truly look at because it come with all of this like shame and guilt and like, how am I going to explain why I'm such a bad person if, you know, I spent all these years running away from it. Um, and I don't know what moment it was in my life, um, where I finally like stopped running from myself. I finally like learn that like i need to figure out what's there even if it's dark and ugly um and i need to figure out how to love it how to nurture it because even if there is um, wrongness there how can i heal from it or how can i like heal myself if i'm unwilling to like see what it needs if i'm unwilling to look at it um and i think in doing that practice i just recognize that like that's not me. Like I, I am, I am not all those things that I feared. And that's kind of what church um, brought out of me, you know, and I'm not saying that they did it on purpose, but I will say there's a lot of perfectionism in church um, and sainthood and Christianity. And Hey, if perfectionism is coming from white supremacy, then I'm not surprised that it like caused this disconnection between myself. Um, But I think, yeah, going through all of that, and healing. Dang, uh, <laughs> yeah, BJ, I don't think you realized that you were going BJ, like, yeah. a word, a word, a word, a word, like just like giving me like okay. a year's worth of therapy in three seconds. <laughs> like, I said, girl, off. hold on. I gotta, I'm taking notes over here. Stop. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> but like, uh, truthfully, I'm joking and Shawnee's joking, but also dead fucking serious. Like, I don't know. Like, that right. same. You're running even as you're like running through the truth, you know, like what I'm hearing is that like, this is such, you have such a connection to learning and such a connection to like insight that like when that is such a disconnect for a long time and you have to really go through that work, it's not just like kind of what you were saying, facing the shitty stuff and learning from it and healing from it. It's also coming to terms with the fact that like the shit that I was running from is actually some of the best parts about me. Like Mm -hmm. not even just like, I have to deal with that. I have to be okay with that. It's actually like, oh no, I've been literally suppressing my gift. 
you know, like, I don't know where that gift comes from. That can be your own conversation with whomever, but like, yeah, that is divine. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I, I, I've told my parents too. I'm like, I know y'all want me back in church and like, that is your dream. I was like, but like therapy is my ministry. I'm like the, what I want to embody with others, whether again, in therapy or outside of it, right? Like that is my ministry. And I think for my parents, it's finally clicking for them that like, they're like, oh my gosh, like I, we see what we've passed on to you. Like we see those parts of like our ministry and your ministry where I think there's a lot more acceptance there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was a journey. It was a lot of years of really, and like, honestly, I feel like Again, it was probably a lot of coming back to grad school where I'm like, how can I do this different? How can I show myself that I'm not this like BJ from seven years ago that I feared? Um, And it was really like, well, it's probably if you look in the mirror (laughs) and just see how you've changed like since then, like recognize like you have different relationships now. Um, You you know what parts of yourself that you can trust and you know what parts of yourself that you need to like keep an eye on because, you know, Sometimes a Taurus is going to Taurus and just be stubborn as hell for no reason. Um, but like, I think knowing those things and knowing that like, feeling that I am connected with myself enough to trust, even in the moments where I'm not paying attention to everything that I'm doing. Um, I think that is the valuable thing to have there is that like, I don't need to be watched 24 seven. I don't need to be just like super skeptical about every motive that I might have. It's just like, hey, you would recognize this and notice this in yourself because you're connected with yourself finally. So you don't have to fear that you would do something that you wouldn't be able to control because you have this awareness. You know how to shift it. You have support. You know how to use that support. I am I am grateful for the reminder that to be able to enter new beginnings later in life, especially as you have gone through several of them before is to just like remember what you fucking know and who you are (laughs) i'm I'm really grateful for that yeah yeah i i think that's if i could sum it up it is really just that like remember who you are and like your past self deserves love and nurturing just as much as your future and your present self and like knowing that i can love the past selves that felt like I know when I cringe sometimes, do you ever like think about past selves and you're like, Ooh, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? Um, I cringe a lot, but I think as soon as I cringe, I kind of think about like, okay, but like, what does that BJ, that past BJ need? Um, like in parenting and nurturing and loving. It was like, Oh yeah, you, you didn't know any better. Like you were just trying to like figure it all out. And like, the me that I am now wouldn't make those same mistakes, not because I'm a better, but just because I've lived through those experiences. And like, that is what life is. It's like getting these tools from these very like fucked up situations that we indulge in. And then like being able to use those tools at later moments in life, whether they happen again or not, it's just that we're more equipped. So, yeah. This is literally what I tell everybody who like was not fucking with Tanache before. I'm like, I get it. <laughs> like, we all have to do better. We all have to grow. And I don't know. I just, I really wish them that growth in life. I do. 
Tanasha is growing. She is growing. It is yeah. it's beautiful to see. <laughs> well, let's chase ourselves on out, out of here and uh, let's take some meds when we get back. We're almost ready to come back again. Welcome back. It's time to take some meds, pop some pills, and talk a little bit about what's making us happy this week. Um, uh, you know what? I've been going first for the last two episodes, I think. I might have made that up. Anyways, Maddie, I just want you to go first. It's fine. Um, (laughs) Super quick, my meds this week are not maybe like as joyful or as frivolous as a clueless blush palette as it was last week. But um, I've been getting, because I'm not in school anymore, I've been getting into, uh, well, reading, I don't like that much, but I like audiobooks. And like, um, I'm listening to and almost done with adult children of emotionally immature parents. And while that sounds super heavy because it is i am enjoying this space while i'm not in therapy to kind of like be in my car doing my own work when i want to and also kind of looking forward and building my practice as well but um if that title is something that you it sparked your interest a little bit i bet you might like it it's by lindsey gibson side but adult children of emotionally immature parents learning a lot from it finding a lot of peace from it it's intense but like I'm genuinely enjoying the listen. So, hmm. pass that on to me when you're done. Uh, the me- oh yeah yeah okay okay okay. I was like, <laughs> I think you could just go. <laughs> like, I don't need to tell you to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll send you the link, boo. Sorry. Thank you, thank you. Um, for me. I think, whatever, I floated on the river. I've been <laughs> out in nature. I've said it before. I'm going to continue being out in nature until I move. Do it. Um, yeah, I was floating on the Clackamas. Um, <laughs> and for the first time in four years, I've been doing this for four years, just like floating on rivers and things. Um, this is the first time I flipped over in a float. And here I am, alive, well, everything's okay. okay. Are you scared? Um, I She's had a moment, eye. you know, there was a brief, <laughs> there was a brief second that I was like, oh, you know what it was? I wasn't necessarily scared that it had fallen out because, I mean, I'm pretty tall. I could just like probably stand uh-huh. and be fine. I was more so concerned with the fact that my body and the float were both perpendicular mm-hmm. to the water. And I just thought, I don't, I can't understand how this is even <laughs> physically possible. And that all happened in like a moment. And I'm not sure how it showed up on my face, but shout out to my friends who... Um, did their best to save me. <laughs> that sounds like a read, but I'm glad you're here. They did their best, and I'm here, so... There's always so much you can well. do, you know? <laughs> Fuck them um, bitches, so but shout I out to a good them. time. <laughs> <laughs> They're part of my meds, too. That, and I got a new hat that I was going to wear on this uh, on this interview, but with the headphones, it doesn't work because it's a bucket hat, so I'll just have to wear it at another time. Send me a pic. I will. BJ, what are you doing? What's going on? What's your meds? Um, I have been, as like people probably heard in the episode, like since I'm leaving my job, like my caseload has gone down to like less than 10. So I've been like reconnecting with free mm. time. That has looked like napping. That has looked like probably griping about people taking not taking the trash out. Um, <laughs> but that has also been <laughs> people. It's also been like Yep, people. One person. Um, (laughs) My dog, I guess he could help out too. Um, No, I also have been trying to, like, I took my dog to the vet 
thinking like, oh yeah, you know, last year he had like lost all this extra weight that they had said that he had gained. And so I'm thinking like, oh, I've been, he's been playing more, you know, he has a backyard now. So he's going to be like right around there and uh, he's 10 pounds heavier. So I've been reconnecting with more dog walks. Um, and it's been yeah. really, really nice, especially in the evenings. Um, yeah. Like looking at trees, like being out in nature and like looking at actual like massive trees that are in your neighborhood that you pass by every day and it's just like wow yeah crazy you've been here a really long time you've probably seen some shit um those have been very nice ways of like winding down Mm -hmm. uh, my evenings of seeing very few clients right now i love that i truly believe that jolene that's my dog she gets her fattest when (laughs) she has a backyard because i'm like I don't need to take you to pee because you can just do it. But it's like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Um, I'm Isn't trying. It true? <laughs> it's, it's true. It's annoying that it's true, but it's a little true. But, huh. um, well, I loved all of that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome. I love the flow of everything. This was amazing. I feel very seen, BJ, by a lot of what you said. Um, and also very much so, like, validated in where I am right now in life. So I don't know. I want to thank you for what you offered during this mm-hmm. space. And yeah, I don't know. It's always it's always great when you're here. Now we have to find a third reason for you to come yeah. back. At this point, we just built season two so that we didn't <laughs> yeah. We were Sorry, like, how do you get BJ back and it's not weird? Like, <laughs> yeah, whatever y'all want me to talk about. <laughs> no, I can just sit here and talk about anything anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> let me know if you need me back for a third or fourth time. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, I'm glad that you got us. Um, I feel like Shawnee was saying, everything plus put a little bit on blast emotionally. So I'm going to go sit with that. But like, <laughs> um, thank you so much for being here. Um, it's a joy and can't wait to talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thank you all so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Before you go, where can people find you? Oh, yes. Oof, let me think about those. Okay. You can find my therapist Instagram. That is B as in boy, Rudd Therapy. That is um, on IG. Um, You can find my podcast Instagram. That is Black People Therapy um, on Instagram. Twitter Twitter is actually Black PPL Therapy. Um, And you can listen to my podcast wherever people listen to podcasts mostly. Um, So Spotify, Apple, um, all the other ones that I can't think of. Anchor. <laughs> if you go to Anchor, you can find all the links for it. Okay. And like, it's been a long time coming for the podcast. So like, not as consistent, but we have some more episodes coming out soon too. And a gym every every episode. So like, take your time. I'm oh, fine. Thank you. I'm fine. <laughs> can't wait for more though. Um, well, as we start to wrap things up, I did want to take a second uh, just because this is new, right? We just got done covering a topic for three episodes straight, which is new for us. Uh, not just a part one and a part two, but a whole trilogy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's a few episodes. I feel like maybe what we should start doing is like our top takeaways um, from the interview with Keeks, from our own conversation, Maddie, and then... Um, this conversation we just had with BJ as well. So, are you saying bottoms don't have takeaways? What? <laughs> bottoms <laughs> probably have the most takeaways. You, you know said top taken? takeaways. I thought I didn't know this oh. is a bottom, bottom hating account. Hey, well, we could give our bottom takeaways. Um, 
Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, all right. Well, for my takeaways as a bottom, I think that uh, I know something that I that was resonating a lot with me over these last few episodes was that new beginnings they're messy, they're chaotic, they can be really overwhelming. Um, and what I've had to sort of digest is how does that affect my ability to like get started? Um, BJ sort of talked on this a bit himself, but I don't know. There's something about that that change and nothing things sort of being out of order i am also somebody that's really organized really likes process or structure or this is the way things are done great now i know how to do this forever um and the second that thing changes it's like wait what uh i don't know where to start so i don't know i've just sort of realized that the more chaotic a new beginning is for me the more i haven't really sat with it and processed it Mm. um the more difficult it can be for me to get started. And I think it also contributes a lot to the very natural feelings of anxiety and fear, uh, which conversely can equal like excitement um, and mania for some people, quite honestly. (laughs) um, um, But I think that to all of that, to everything that I'm saying is there is also this acknowledgement that has to take place um, and sort of seeing where that messiness, that chaos, that thing that really makes me uncomfortable um, what happens if I just like sit with that and find my true North star in all of it um, and work with that to really get myself more comfortable with the change that's coming or yeah. with the new beginning that's coming. I don't think it's the answer to everything, but I think it's something that at least makes me feel like it is okay that I feel anxious about this because I don't know how this is going to turn out. And that's also all right. Um, and I think something that I'm also remembering too is like the, you know, BJ was just reminding us about this anchor within the self, but Mm -hmm. we also got like, you know, your meds last week were being vulnerable with friends and finding anchors within that. And then with Kiana and Carlos, like they're anchoring with each other. And I I think it's an important reminder too, to not just find alignment with self, but alignment with community and align with alignment with um, uh, those around us. Um, Something that I also just found interesting too, with BJ giving us some identities at the beginning that were similar and also shifting from last time. And then when Kiana too, a couple of weeks ago was kind of like naming new identities for her as a creative. And then also as a queer person, like that these shifting identities are, are natural and part of the process and sort of like part of riding that wave. And uh, so to be gentle with ourselves, if we're finding ourselves identifying, um, with the, ourselves and the world around us in ways that we maybe didn't in the past. Yeah, I agree. I feel like, I mean, yeah, I just said it last week. I, I think that that accomplishment, that success of starting a new beginning with myself um, doesn't really equate to money or like this thing that is a tangible sort of take away. God, it's a takeaway like 10 times. Um, but there's, that's not really it for me. My success in um, starting a new beginning looks different. It's not always money related. And I think that it's probably true for a lot of people out there. Um, I think that to your point, Maddie, everything that I've taken away from these last few episodes is way more about alignment with self, um, providing value to self and value to the community um, in a way that's authentic and genuine to who I am. And well, those I love go- who you are. Oh, thank you. Well, (laughs) we are going to be doing this at the end of each um, topic that we cover. We'll give you our top or bottom takeaways, however you want to. Maybe we can just call it bottom takeaways. I love this. Verse takeaways. Verse takeaways. (laughs) Um, But 
we're also going to be starting on a new little chapter, a new little topic um, next week. So make sure you tune in. I'm not even going to give you any hints because I want you to just tune in and figure out what it is. <laughs> she said, let's be cryptic on our exit. Yeah. Um, be sure to uh, check out our Rex and Resources doc. If you have something you want to share with us about your experience with this topic or our upcoming one, send us an email at qbtpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us a DM. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at QBTPod. Leave us a voicemail at 971-220-8874. Check out our interview with Kiana and Carlos. Thank you for all you do um, from a couple weeks ago introducing this topic. And also check out BJ's episode um, that we reference a little bit from season one. Um, big, big thanks to Ali Kiltz for helping us produce. Um, don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you to Marquis and Shanti Darling for letting us use their music. Let's get out of here. Let's get let's get out of here. Let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's get, get started on our new beginning. Let's go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Trying to talk slick all up in my ear and shit. <laughs>